Heavenly Father, um, as we remember today and this weekend, the soldiers, sailors, and airmen who have given their lives to preserve the freedom that we enjoy today, we especially thank, or we, we especially are grateful for the sacrifice of your son, who himself offered the ultimate sacrifice on our behalf. As the psalmist says, unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. And now, Lord, turn our hearts to your word. Heal this nation of her many sins so that we may turn to you and walk in your ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. In the uh, 2009 film, Avatar, Jake Sully is a Marine, a Marine with a problem. Wounded in action, he has lost the use of his legs. And a fighting man without the use of his legs is, well, kind of useless. As another soldier puts it, when he sees Jake in his wheelchair rolling off a military transport vehicle onto the the tarmac of the hostile planet of Pandora, he is meals on wheels. When his identical twin brother is killed in a robbery, Jake gets a unique opportunity to take his place. Um, Through the use of advanced biotechnology, he is able to link his mind to a human-alien-avatar hybrid that uh, is attuned to his brother's identical DNA. And in a sense, he regains the use of his legs. And the kicker is that if he is successful in gathering useful intelligence on the native aliens, known as the Navi, the ruthless commander of the security forces on Pandora, Colonel Quaritch, has promised to see to it that he is rewarded with restorative spinal surgery, surgery that he himself cannot afford on his veteran's pension. Well, in today's reading, a cripple just like Jake comes to Jesus for healing. And at the end of our story, he regains the use of his legs. But this story, like the movie Avatar, is not really about regaining the use of your legs. It's about something more than that. About a month ago, we heard the Lord quoting from the prophet Isaiah as he announced in his hometown of Nazareth the commencement of his ministry. He had come to proclaim liberty to the captives. But you know, I don't remember any gospel stories about Jesus breaking people out of prison. You know, John the Baptist, in in a couple of chapters, is going to wonder, was I right? Is he the one? Is he the one who's going to proclaim liberty for the captives? And I only ask this because it's really an opportune moment for that, seeing as I am rotting in prison 
under King Herod. And Jesus sends word back to him. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. Jesus did all those physical miracles. But, you know, in Isaiah, the healing that is to accompany the coming of the one who is to come is more metaphorical than physical. This functions, these physical attributes of seeing, hearing, and walking express the unwillingness of Israel to depend on, trust in, and obey the Word of God. We all know that Jesus spoke in parables. What may be a little less obvious is that his miracles also functioned as non-verbal parables. The superficial physical healing was just a shadow of a hidden but deeper and true spiritual healing that Jesus brought. So last week, for example, we heard about a leper. The man was a mess, both inside and outside. Before he could become a good part of society, he had to be clean, but not just on the surface, but all the way to the heart. The eyes and ears are our sensory organs. So whenever you see Jesus healing a blind person, I challenge you to look around at the scene and see somebody that has eyes that work perfectly well, but yet can't see God's grace acting right in front of their nose. Or when you hear of him healing a deaf person, listen to the story and see if you can't hear about somebody whose ears work perfectly well, but yet they don't listen to what Jesus has to say. As the Lord says again and again, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. But today's story is about a cripple. So what about our legs and our feet? Our legs and our feet are designed for movement. They are our organs of action. With them, we walk our walk. That is, we live our life. Walking in a way that is not pleasing to God, that's what we call sin. And as Christians... Sometimes we walk with the Lord, and sometimes we wander. Every time that we wander in sin, it becomes just a little bit more difficult to walk with the Lord. And eventually, if we wander far enough and deep enough into sin, we become trapped. Our Christian walk is crippled. So if you're a Christian and you find yourself trapped in sin, you are just like Jake Sully, a paralyzed warrior. 
You are a spiritual cripple. And as one of the soldiers that looks at Jake says, as he sees him, that's just wrong. That's just wrong. A spiritual cripple, one of God's people trapped in a sinful lifestyle, needs three things in order to walk again in a way that's pleasing to God. And our text talks about these three things. The first thing a spiritual cripple needs is support from fellow members of the Christian community. The second thing a spiritual cripple needs is salvation from the Lord of Heaven. And the third thing that these spiritual cripples need is a fresh start, a clean break with the past that only the Christ, the, the God-man, can provide. So my first point is this. A Christian trapped in a sinful lifestyle, a spiritual cripple, needs support from other believers. Now turn with me for a second to Luke chapter 5, verses 17 through 19. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with a bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. So, let's think for a second about this man's life as a cripple in first century Palestine. Of course, his life was very difficult physically. Recently, Brenda and I, last month, were on a trip uh, in Europe, and we were impressed with just how much walking is required when you don't have a car. One of the people on our tour had injured her ankle, and she had a really tough time keeping up with the group. Despite very congenial weather, the availability of buses, wheelchairs, elevators, access ramps, plenty of food and drink, every convenience that a first world country could provide in the 21st century, she had a lot of trouble keeping up. Sometimes she got kind of demoralized when the group wasn't as patient with her inability to keep up as we might have been. And this was a group of Christian friends on a vacation. Can you imagine the difficulty that a paraplegic would have? Not just an injured ankle, but a man without the use of his legs in first century Palestine under Roman occupation, where the Roman soldiers had absolutely no interest in making life easier for the citizens around them. It was a hot, dry country. There was no social security, no Americans with Disabilities Act. There were no wheelchairs. There was no WeCab, no Metro Mobility, no buses, no access ramps, no grab bars. True, as a paraplegic, he wasn't an outcast from society like the leper was last week. 
He had the same rights and privileges of other members of the community, but I know for a fact he had a really tough time getting around. But this man's problems weren't only physical. No doubt, just like today, people that were different make us uncomfortable and impatient. We treat them differently, not always in ways that are appropriate or helpful. Dr. Dan Gottlieb, a paralytic, uh, a, a paraplegic psychologist, uh, describes his life this way. I used to get furious when people looked in my direction and just saw stainless steel but didn't see me. And occasionally I still do get angry, but usually I simply assert myself back into the conversation, reminding them that I am a real person. We've all had experiences where we meet somebody and they talk over us to whoever we are with, or they treat us like we're hard of hearing, congenitally impaired, cognitively impaired, or invisible. It's called alienation. And typical reactions to alienation are either withdrawal or to act out aggressively. I've done both. And when I've withdrawn, it hurts me. And when I act out aggressively, it hurts somebody else. Both feel terrible. Our brother Kenny's told me sometimes, when people look at him in his scooter and they, they act like he's stupid or he's not there, He's really a very intelligent man, and you get to know him. Sometimes he comes across a little strong as he's trying to fit in, but I wonder how I would act in his shoes. My brother Paul back there. You know, I remember what a bright, articulate man he was just a few years ago. And as his disease has robbed him of his power of speech, it's become incredibly difficult to understand what he's trying to tell you. To the best of my ability to understand his condition, he's still bright, even if he's no longer articulate. So he still understands what we're talking about. He's still listening to what you have to say. But I got to admit that I get a little uncomfortable sometimes when I'm trying to talk to my brother because I don't know what to say and I don't know what to do. We're thinking about Wilma and Len. Um, sometimes people that don't know ASL can't communicate with them and they treat them like they're stupid. They're not stupid. They're deaf. You know, it's kind of funny. Sometimes I've been over at their house and there'll be a lively conversation going on and I won't know what they're talking about, okay? Because it's in sign language and I don't know how to speak sign language, Okay? Um, it's, it's funny when the situations are reversed a little bit. So back to our story. Jesus is teaching, and he's surrounded by scholars, and they are sitting there. And some men are trying to bring this paralyzed man to lay before Jesus, and the man can't get to Jesus himself. He has to be carried, and helping him is not easy. They're blocked by the crowd. Now, wouldn't you think that some of those people sitting there might just get up and move out of the way? Okay. Well, no. You see, uh, these were scholars, 
And they were sitting there because they were on important business. You see, they had come from Jerusalem and Judea and all over Galilee. And today was Jesus' big day. They had decided. Okay? You see, uh, they were on a heresy hunt, these men. Okay? Jesus had had the audacity to start preaching without requesting their approval. And they wanted to make sure that his teaching was correct. And by that I mean that, their teaching, that his teaching agreed with their teaching. Okay? They were not about to let some stupid cripple get in the way of their important business. And so they blocked the way. Well, imagine the scene. The cripple's outside the building talking with his friends and he's going, guys, uh, it looks like we're, we're not going to get in there today. Let's, let's just go. Maybe, maybe this wasn't such a great idea after all. One of his friends looks up at the house. Wait, 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 wait. Look, look, look at that roof there. You see the low pitch on that roof? We could stand on that roof. And look at those tiles there. They, they barely overlap. We can get you up there. We pop out a couple of tiles, slip you down there, you'll be right in front of him. He will have no choice but to see you. And the, the, the man's saying, oh, no, 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 no. This, this, is, this is crazy. This is crazy. Let's just go. And they say to him, look, friend, didn't you tell us that you would do anything to get your legs back? And we carried you all this way, and you're what? 50 feet from the man who can make it happen? You are not going back now. Oh, no. Oh, no. Today is the day. You are coming to Jesus. Amen? Amen. Okay. In our church covenant, we say, with God's gracious help, as fellow members of this local church, zealous to manifest the work of the gospel in our lives, we will love one another with brotherly affection, consider others more significant than ourselves, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, be at peace with one another, speak the truth to one another, pray for one another, instruct one another, Build one another up. Seek to do good to one another. Outdo one another in showing honor and offer hospitality to one another with a glad heart. You know, brothers and sisters, when you live a life in community like that, you're going to raise some eyebrows. Sometimes the people you're trying to help may not be totally cooperative. You're going to do some unconventional things, like taking the tiles out of a roof, okay? Because you have to. Some of us are spiritual cripples. And a spiritual cripple needs support from fellow members of the Christian community. My second point is this. 
a Christian trapped in a sinful lifestyle, a spiritual cripple, needs salvation. And that can only come from the Lord of heaven and earth. When the man is lowered down before Jesus by his friends, our Lord responds in a very surprising way. Read with me now verses 20 to 23. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, rise and walk. What unusual things our Lord has to say. There is no obvious inherent connection between physical disability and sin. Maybe this man's paralysis was the result of an accident. Or a battle injury. Maybe a birth defect. Uh, some illness caused by natural deterioration or poor hygiene or nutrition. Who knows what? Why then does our Lord's attention focus in on his sin like a laser-guided missile? You know, every human being the Lord ever came in contact with was a sinner. But he had the tact not to bring it up, at least not right away, okay? Um, the leper we heard about last week was a sinner when Jesus cleansed him. Peter himself acknowledges his sinfulness, but Jesus gives him a great catch of fish and promises to make him a fisher of men. Forgiveness is not discussed. Peter's mother was also a sinner, but Jesus rebuked her fever, not her sin. Now, presumably, Jesus healed quite a few cripples, many cripples, but the Gospels give us details on only two. This man and a paralytic that lay by the pool at Bethesda. Let me read you that account from John Chapter 5, verses 2 through 15. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there, had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he'd already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath, so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is this man 
who said to you, take up your bed and walk. Now, the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. Now, isn't that interesting? It seems that the cripple of Bethesda had become a cripple because of his sinful behavior. And apparently the cripple in today's reading also needs forgiveness more than he needs the use of his legs. Both men, it seems, were living metaphors for a sinful life. They were men who had walked in the counsel of the wicked. Their feet had run to evil and made haste to shed innocent blood, but now they were cripples. When we look at what's wrong with the world, we tend to rush around, um, rush to solutions like cultural, economic, social reforms, but none of this is going to solve our sin problem. You notice the response of the Pharisees? They knew this man needed forgiveness. Maybe, just maybe, the man's inability to walk was particularly appropriate and just. Maybe he was a soldier who had broken his legs running away from battle. Or maybe he was a robber who had broken the legs of his victim and in punishment, his own knees had been broken in, uh, in accord with the legal principle of the day. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. One thing is certain, this man did not deserve forgiveness. And neither do we. What he deserved was exactly what he got. Useless legs that no longer permitted him to pray on his fellow man. And the Pharisees at this point ask a question that is spot on. Okay? They say, who can forgive sins but God alone? Who indeed? Right question. Wrong answer. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, King David is confronted by the prophet Nathan for having ordered the death of Uriah the Hittite and then taking the man's wife Bathsheba as his own. And David says to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan says to David, The Lord also has put away your sin, and you shall not die. You notice that David confesses that he has sinned, not against Uriah, not against Bathsheba, not against Nathan the prophet, not against the people of Israel, but against the God of heaven. And notice also, Nathan the prophet doesn't say, oh, it's okay, David, I forgive you. No. Forgiveness is a divine prerogative, forgiveness of sins. And when the Pharisees say, who is this that speaks blasphemies, what they're saying is given that forgiveness of sins is a divine prerogative, this man has no right to forgive sins. 
Jesus' forgiveness of these men's sins was a blatant claim to divinity. And in the minds of these men, he had no right to exercise that. So back in verse 15, we read, On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Jerusalem and from Judea, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. The power of the Lord was with him to heal in his teaching. Would his teaching heal their blindness and disbelief? See, the message Jesus was teaching was that the day of the Lord's favor had arrived. The kingdom of God was at hand because the king had arrived. The end of the rebellion was in sight, and pardon was being offered to all rebels who would pledge their allegiance to their true and rightful king. Forgiveness of sins had come to men. Would they accept or reject it? Back in the movie Avatar, at a critical moment, when he's questioning where his true loyalties lie, Jake Sully is a approached by Colonel Quaritch. And Jake has given the colonel all the intel that he needs to subjugate and destroy the Navi. He explains his breakthrough as he briefs his men on the evening of their attack. Now the hostiles believe this mountain stronghold of theirs is protected by their deity. And when we destroy it, we will blast a crater in their racial memory so deep that they won't come within 1,000 clicks of the place ever again. And that, too, is a fact. There's a flight ready to take Jake back home tonight. Surgeons are standing by to perform that operation that will restore the use of his human legs, but Jake can't take that offer. The return of the use of his legs, healing for his body, That's easy. Forgiveness for betrayal of people he's come to love and respect. For that, he's going to have to take things to a whole nother level. Jesus asked, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or rise and walk? Today's technology improves every day. Soon, we probably will have the ability to allow a paralyzed man to walk. But that cure is very temporary. Forgiveness is priceless. And it is forever. My third and final point is this. A Christian trapped in a sinful lifestyle, a spiritual cripple, needs a fresh start. A clean break with the past that only Jesus can supply. Nothing less than a new heart. In verses 24 to 26, we read this. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. 
And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. Now, what does this man do beyond what Jesus has commanded him to do? He glorifies God. And his attitude is contagious. As the Westminster Confession puts it, the purpose of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. The healing that Jesus has provided this man has permitted him to fulfill the original purpose of his life. Not only does he have the use of his legs, but now he is using them in a way that they were designed to be used, to walk with God, to live a life that's pleasing to God. There's a link between faith and the healing that Jesus brings. According to Mark's narrative, Jesus didn't do much miraculous work when he was in Nazareth, and that was because of their unbelief. The outcome was pretty good for this paralyzed man and his friends, but the question remains, what will become of the Pharisees? Will they accept the truth that the miracle represents? That you may know. Jesus, the Son of Man, does have authority on heaven and earth to forgive sins. And his ability to heal, um, he's able to heal spiritual and physical lameness. As evidence, that was evidence that he was able to erase the consequences of this man's sins. The Pharisees had only two choices here, okay? Either they were wrong about their assumption that Jesus lacked the authority to forgive sins, or Jesus' authority to forgive sins came from another source other than the one true and living God, Okay? One of these choices required a humble and contrite heart. The other did not. Okay. Instead, you can almost hear their hearts calcifying. Okay? As they cling to their pride and their disbeliefs. Later on, they'll say, He casts out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of demons. That's their claim. You know, the devil has many schemes, okay? But none of them involve getting sinners to glorify God. None of them. When Jake Sully is presented before the tzahik, the chieftain of the Navi, requesting to learn from the Navi, the tzahik scowls at him and says, we have tried to teach other sky people. It is hard to fill a cup that is already full. The Pharisees and the scientists who had come before Jake already knew everything they needed to know. They had not come to learn from Jesus, but to judge him. The cripple and his friends, like Jake, were broken men with empty cups. They desperately wanted a fresh start. 
One of the problems that old Jake has, despite his ability to telepathically communicate with his avatar body, is that he himself remains trapped in a weak human body with broken, useless legs in a device that looks for all the world like a coffin. Periodically, at very inopportune moments, he is dragged back into his old reality as a cripple. Sometimes it's to eat, sometimes he's yanked out by enemies. At the end of the movie, his transformation is permanent, a process that is, of course, supernatural. Now, in the movie, this process is fictional, but the transformation that Jesus offers is not fictional, but it is supernatural. When Jesus sets you free, you are free indeed. Now, what is all this to you and to me? How does this apply to us? During Lent this year, we spent some time talking about the seven deadly sins, or probably more accurately, the seven daily sins. They they still plague us today. Pride, envy, wrath, sloth, greed, gluttony, and lust. As Christians, we have been freed from the penalty of sin But we must continue to wrestle with the power and allure of sin. Whether or not you believe that an individual can lose their salvation, one thing is crystal clear, and that is that some people who apparently have made a valid profession of faith in Jesus Christ get trapped in sin. How does that happen? How does a saved person get drawn into a life dominated by sin? Well, at first, when we first come to know the Lord, we're very excited. We're very enthusiastic. We're very aware of the great work that has been done on our behalf. And we strive really hard to walk a Christian life. But as time goes on, unless we're very diligent and watchful, our enthusiasm wanes. We toy with indwelling sin. First, in our minds, and then in our actions with our hands and feet. And if if we do this long enough, we will become trapped in sin. And the worst part is, we don't do this in a vacuum We do this in the presence of other Christians in good company and we reassure reassure ourselves there can't be any harm in this. No one speaks because no one wants to offend. But eventually, you pass the point of no return. And when you get to that point, When walking with God is impossible because you're trapped in a sinful lifestyle. When sin prevents us from walking with God, we need three things. We need support from fellow members of our Christian community. We need salvation from the Lord of heaven and earth. 
and we need a fresh start in life so that we can finally place ourselves entirely at his disposal and walk in the walk that he intends for us to walk. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are all sinners in need of a Savior here. Some of, our, some of us are limping and some of us are stalled. Help us to know how to support one, other, one another, but more importantly, give us the strength and the resolve to do your will. Forgive us for our waywardness. Renew our hearts so we can walk in your ways. We ask this in the name of our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ.